0: you have your Bibles with you today, would you please take them and turn in them to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 It's also printed in the bulletin for you, and you're welcome to follow along there. During the month of December, we're going to be taking a break from our studies in the book of Exodus to do something different for the next four weeks that will take us right up to Christmas. We're going to be studying Jesus from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, was one of the prophets. He's Prophesied and he preached and he taught to the country of Judah, that is the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, during the time leading up to and during the Babylonian captivity. And he was speaking to them and calling them to repentance and to faithfulness and speaking to them also of the one who would be to come, that is, our Savior Jesus Christ. And so as it is Christmas... We're thinking of the birth of Christ, we're looking forward to his coming, and we're going to do that this year by some studies in the book of Jeremiah. So what I want to read today is chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then also chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. This is essentially two parts of one section of Jeremiah's prophecy here in the beginning. It's long. So we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read 2, 1 through 13, and 3, 12 through 15. So if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we read and hear the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me? And went after worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar, examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now chapter 3, verse 12 Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, "'Return, faithless Israel,' declares the Lord. "'I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful,' declares the Lord. "'I will not be angry forever. "'Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God "'and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, "'and that you have not obeyed my voice,' declares the Lord. "'Return, O faithless children,' declares the Lord." For I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And stop there. Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the message from the prophet Jeremiah, who brings to us a conviction of sin, but also a conviction that we might look to you and find mercy. For you are a merciful and loving God who delights to hear your children pray and who delights when we return out of our faithlessness and come back to you. You receive us with open arms. You welcome us. And so we are grateful to you, O Lord, and we ask that you would take the reading of your word this day and would you apply it to our hearts. Would you help us to hear, to understand, to love, to store it up, and to practice it in our lives. This we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is one of my favorite times of the year. I imagine that might be true for some of you as well. It's one of my favorite times of the year, not just because of the presence, and the holiday traditions and the Christmas carols and everything else that I love about the time of year. But there's something else about this time of year, coming to the end of one year and getting ready to start a new year. There's something about the transition between the two that always makes me feel reflective, that puts me in the mood to think back on where we've been over the last year, What that has been like, even just for me personally, what what I have done, how my year has been, and, and to think about what I want the new year to be like. It's sort of a natural time to make changes and to set new goals. I think this is a good time of year to think about what really matters in life. What is important. What we're spending our time, our money, our energy, our relationships. What we're spending these things on. Because I, I find that if we're not careful, sometimes even if we are careful, we experience this priority drift. That's not a, a clean break. We don't intend to do it, but there's just this unintentional, slow, but steady, noticeable drift in what is important to us. Just like when you're at the beach and, and you go in the water and you play for 30 minutes and you come out and you're nowhere near where you began. And you had no idea you were moving, you weren't intending to move, but you just drifted with the tide. And that can happen in our lives. We don't intend to make these changes, but we can get to the end of one year and we look back and we realize that wasn't how we meant to live that year. We're not where we wanted to be. Or perhaps you may simply look at your life and and see something of a disconnect where the things that you value and the things that you, you love and you prioritize are no longer what is reflected in the way that you are actually living, right? I I think this happens to all of us, right? We may say that we truly value working out. We may even wear our workout clothes quite often. But the truth is we haven't actually been to the gym since maybe back in January when that New Year's resolution began to wear off. We may say that we value eating healthy. But maybe those six McDonald's cups in the car would, would beg to differ. We, we value, we say we value certain things, but it, it just turns out that the way we live doesn't always reflect the things that we say that we value. There's sort of the, the 2017 version of this is, is often played out in our social media accounts where we post very uh, selectively and very intentionally to try to present an image of what we want People to think we are like and, and who we are, even if just picking a few of the highlights doesn't necessarily reflect the true depth of our character and the true reality of our, our personality. There's a disconnect between what we present and who we really are. And I think there's also the, the spiritual version of this, which is, of course, much more important and much more serious. When we look at our lives and we realize that, that we've simply begun to drift And the way we are living is just not what we want, the way we want to be living. We're not reflecting the values that we say we we cherish. And so what I want us to do this December is to be intentional in looking back and in looking forward, to think on these things. And I want to call us from the book of Jeremiah to something greater this Christmas season. To something greater, to, to use this month together to read the scriptures together to think about it, what it would mean for us to return to our first love. That's the theme of these verses that we've just read, is God is calling his people to return to their first love. They've drifted. They've drifted over the years, and now God is looking back and he's saying, do you remember where you used to be? Do you remember the spiritual priorities that you used to have? That used to be reflected in your life, and yet, what has happened to that? There's really three clear sections of these verses. First, looking at the love that once was, and then God says what went wrong, and then God says how to come back. The love that once was, what went wrong, but then also how to come back. Look at the first couple verses here of chapter 2, where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah to say what once was. It's very clear there in the second verse, when God says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. This is not merely a, a sweet reminiscence of days gone by. This is a conviction of sin, isn't it? God is speaking to the people and he's saying, I remember how it used to be. Back in the wilderness days, he's taking us back to Exodus here, isn't he? Right? Right? Your love, the devotion of your youth together, the, the youth of the nation, how they followed God in the wilderness, in a land not sown. And, and he's taking them back and saying, those were, those were good days. You, you loved me as a bride, loves her husband. You were devoted. You followed me. Wherever that pillar of cloud and smoke led, the people were eager to follow. And you wonder here, here through Jeremiah, God is telling the people that he's remembering back to those sort of almost the good old days back when the people were devoted to the Lord and when they followed him. And he's, he's saying those days in the wilderness, those were the good days. You might have had very little, but because of that, you lived in a regular and, and truly felt sense of dependence on God. What else did they have to depend on? They depended on him for their direction, literally through the wilderness, following where God led, stopping where he stopped, going where he went. They depended on him for their daily bread, the manna and the quail. They depended on him for water, if he would lead to springs of water. They depended on him for the protection. There was a a sense there that, that they truly were daily involved with seeking the Lord. Now, it's interesting because that's God's uh, evaluation. And yet, I imagine for many Israelites, they had to think that God's evaluation of progress was very different from their own evaluation of progress. Can't you imagine the, the ordinary Israelite, you, you ask them to look back on that and they'd say, boy, those were hard days. We had nothing. We were living hand to mouth. Right? We didn't have any homes. We were just dwelling in tents. Everything was dirty. They might have looked at that as a very difficult miserable time and yet now now they've come into their own land now they live in paneled houses now they have have 2.3 kids and, and a camel tied up out front they have everything that they need they might have thought those were bad times and now things have gotten better and life is better and yet that's a human evaluation of progress but isn't it interesting that god's evaluation of progress is so different He's not concerned about the material prosperity that has changed from one year to the next. Materially, yes, things are, are easier. Things are, are better. But God is saying spiritually they've gotten much worse. And isn't it true that those two things go hand in hand, don't they? Don't they? There, there's a reality that we know that material prosperity does not equal spiritual growth. In fact, the truth is it can often hinder spiritual growth. And so here's God, and he's looking at them, and, and he's saying that spiritually, now Israel is, is nowhere near as healthy as they were back in the wilderness days. Hard days, but spiritually sweet. Now, the funny thing is, we're in Exodus, and if you read the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you think, those weren't the good old days. There's not a lot of love and obedience. Israel wasn't great during those days. What is God really Seeing, but maybe there's some comparative level where now he says, you know, Look how far you've, far you've fallen now, that, that those days, maybe as troubled as they were, were still far better than where Israel is at right now. In comparison, those were the good days. And so this is the time for us now, at the end of a year and the beginning of a new year, to ask the same question How is the health of our spiritual life? If God were to evaluate the progress that we have made, would he see real progress? Or would he be tempted to look back and say, I remember the devotion of a year ago, how you followed me in the wilderness. This is a chance to ask, how is our heart's love for God? Is it being squeezed out by the love for the things of this world? How is your hatred for sin, and not for other people's, but but for your own, for seeing it and putting it to death? How is our growth in Christ-likeness? I know for some of us, we are in a, a similar position to Israel, that our increase in material prosperity or our increase in ease has not led to the gains in the things that truly, deeply matter. We have simply exchanged those for what the world tells us is important. And here is God looking at Israel, looking at a nation that has perhaps what the world values, but he's saying to them they no longer have what God values. And he's showing them the difference between the two. I think for many of us, we kind of know how this goes, because we might be able to look back at a time when we were younger believers And young believers often come with a lot of zeal for the Lord and their love for the Lord is overflowing and they have this passion to seek after the Lord. But we know what happens. Because we think of that as being characteristic of young believers and we know how over time those things begin to fade. Those expectations begin to diminish. I know many people who have started well in their Christian life and they have not gone on to finish well and so i want us to hear this word from jeremiah think of how similar this is to what god says to the church at ephesus in the book of revelation when jesus speaking to the churches says return to your first love do the works you did at first he's seeing exactly the same thing in the new testament churches when he says you have lost your first love All of the the things that this world has to offer, that this world counts as so important, have been pressed in on us, and they become like little spiritual blinders that narrow our field of vision, that keep us from seeing the scope of of what God values and what God desires for our lives. And we say, well, that's the busyness of life. That's what happens. And, And it's not something intentional. We haven't made a decision somewhere along the way to give up our first love it's this spiritual drift we've gone in the ocean we've come back out and we've realized we're not at all where we began And so I want us to listen then to Jeremiah God says, I remember the devotion of your youth but he's calling them to, to repent of their sin and here's now he begins to diagnose for them what went wrong and it's in these next uh, verses verses 4 through 13 to say that people began to forget the Lord people began to forget the Lord. Um, You know, a lot of people joke these days about their first world problems. Their first world problems being those things that are, are annoyances to us. But when we stop to think, we realize the only reason we have this problem in the first place is the result of our material prosperity, of our technological excess. It's this wonderful bounty of blessings that we've gotten, but it's caused these little annoyances. Well, the real problem for us, isn't it, is that our relative prosperity, and I mean relative prosperity is having food to eat and a roof over your head and clothes to wear, that can cause us to forget the Lord also. Proverbs 30, there's a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. If I have too little, I may be tempted to steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. If I have too much, I may forget the Lord. He recognizes this real temptation that when we have material prosperity, when we have the things of this world that that we have wanted, there is a spiritual danger that accompanies it that we can forget the Lord. You see, our prosperity is a gift from God. There is no doubt it is a gift from the Lord who loves his children and he gives it to us. And when it's received well, it can be received as a blessing. We should be thankful for it. It's a gift. when it's not received well, that is when we allow it to creep into our soul and form this materialistic, worldly crust on our heart, then it's not a gift at all. Verse 5, Jeremiah says, What wrong did you find in me? What wrong did your fathers find that they went far from me and they became worthless? They went after worthlessness. That's asking us to evaluate the things that we have received this year and say, have those things, have these blessings, have they led us closer to the Lord? Have they given us greater joy in God? Or have they done the opposite? Have they kept us from having joy in God? Have they stolen the attention of our hearts and kept us away from the Lord? Have they made us worthless? Look down in verse 13 in uh, Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2.13. This verse gives, I think, one of the clearest pictures of the spiritual realities of temptation. Look at verse 13. Jeremiah says, the Lord says through Jeremiah, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So he looks at the people and says there's... You've made two mistakes here. Two things. First, you have forsaken God who is a fountain of living water. A fountain. He never needs anything from you. He does not need to be replenished. He has life in himself and he's giving, generously giving. He's a fountain of living water, the source of all life, joy, happiness, truth, delight. You've forsaken that. You've turned away from that. That wasn't good enough. You've forsaken that. And then secondly, he's saying... Instead, you still needed it. It's not that you didn't need that. You still needed it. So you had to do something else. You you hewed out your own cisterns, which are broken cisterns, that don't even hold water. Not only are they not fountains that produce and that give and that don't need to be replenished, it's it's merely a cistern, which is basically a, a, a well that you can put water into to hold it and to carry it. But it doesn't work. It's broken. It leaks. It's taking life. God is meant to give life. You instead choose a cistern that takes life, that takes it from you. I remember one time, it was about 20 years ago, I was speaking with a a campus minister who was talking about this verse, and he had a piece of paper, and he just began to draw some circles on it. And he said, what are the broken cisterns that you are tempted to turn to in your life? What are your broken cisterns? Those things which you are tempted to look to to give you life, to give you significance, to give you a sense of meaning and purpose and and a reason for being? What are those things where you might think, you know, if only I had this, if only I had a little bit more of that, if only I had a one more promotion? just a, a little raise. If only my, my peers professionally thought more highly of me. If only I, I was next in line to be recognized for this or for that. These are the things that we look at so often as sources that might provide life for us. We know they won't when we stop to think about it, but it's a temptation. We look to them. But Jeremiah is saying these things are broken cisterns. They're broken cisterns. They don't provide life. In fact, it won't even hold the things you put into it. Broken cisterns never keep their promises. Now, here's what's so interesting about the imagery that Jeremiah gives us here. He's talking about idolatry, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. He's telling you that the, the people he's speaking to here have turned away from God, who's the source of all life, and they've looked for that life in other places. That's idolatry, but it's interesting, what he doesn't do is he doesn't simply say, you guys are idolaters, and then he doesn't quote the first commandment at them, and then call it a day. But he actually, this imagery that he uses, it shows us not only the, the reality of idolatry, but it shows us something about the experience of being an idolater. It shows us something of what it actually feels like for us as people who are prone to put all the weight of our hopes and expectations on these things that are not God and to experience the disappointment of them. Right? It, it shows us something deeper about it which I think is very fitting and very, uh, it's very apt for us today. The first commandment speaks in stri- strictly legal terms which we, we agree with. We know it's true. Worshiping the one true God is good. Idolatry is forbidden. Which is absolutely true. But, but Jeremiah is showing us something of the frustration. He says, have you not experienced this? You, you've turned away from God, you've gone to something else, only to realize that is nothing but a broken cistern. You were expecting it to give something it could never possibly deliver on. And so it shows us what, what we do. And it shows us our, our proneness to this, that we are so apt, we are so prone, rather, to go to these things, which are usually good things, right? Money, life, Relationships, love, jobs, respect, all good things. But we approach them as though they are expected to give us true life. They're going to validate us. They're going to somehow take away the burden of shame that we carry, our our sense of not being enough, our sense of worthlessness. They're going to take that away for us. They're going to provide us with the life that we've always wanted. And Jeremiah says you go to these things expecting a fountain that's just going to be gushing and overflowing with life for you all you have is a, a leaking hole in the ground that takes away and loses even what you put into it. So says that is the spiritual reality of what is happening when we look for life in something other than the Lord our God. It shows us this truth that sin is not only wrong but Jeremiah shows us how unsatisfying it is in the end. And that's what we need to see, isn't it? Because we go to sin, the reason we do it is because we're expecting satisfaction out of it. We're expecting it to give us something good, something that we will delight in, something that we want, and yet it's a broken cistern when you are expecting a fountain. And we know that that's not only wrong, it shows us something of how stupid sin can make us, how it makes us look so dumb, and yet don't we also know how easy it is for us and how often we have gone to a broken cistern and simply sat before it and stared at it for so long, waiting for it to start delivering water. And what we need then is to hear a prophetic word like this one from Jeremiah telling us, open our eyes, see that the Lord is a fountain of living water. And he invites his people to come and to sit before him and to drink to their hearts content and to find in him the life that is not to be found anywhere else. And so the invitation is right here in this verse that the Lord is a fountain of living water. And the people are invited. Come back to him. Don't, don't turn away. That was the first mistake, forsaking a fountain of living water in hopes of something else. And so he showed us so far uh, where we once were, the love that we once had, our first love. And he showed us how and why we lost it by forsaking the Lord and turning to broken cisterns. But now, what to do? What to do? We, we see the need to return, to go back, but there's a path to follow. Look at the verses from Jeremiah 3, 12 through 15. 12 through 15 plots out the course for us. What should we do then? What should we do when we find ourselves convicted that we are pursuing the wrong course, that yes, we have drifted further than we wanted to admit we had drifted, we hadn't realized it, Now we're seeing it. What do we do? Here's the course. There's three steps in these verses. First, understand that the Lord is merciful. Understand that the Lord is merciful. Look at 3.12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north. Return, faithless Israel. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. God is merciful. And that is good news for those of us who have spent the whole year clamoring next to a broken cistern waiting for for water and for life and for joy, realizing now how how wrong we have been and how dumb we have been. But God says, I will not look on on you in anger. For I, the Lord, am merciful. He waits for you to come back to him. Sometimes in the midst of reading these uh, prophetic books, especially a book like Jeremiah, there's a lot of bad news in Jeremiah. And we can miss where God speaks to his people and he says I'm not angry at the people I'm angry at the sin I love the people I'm I'm merciful I will not look on you in anger I will not be angry forever God is saying this he's seeking to to spur us on with a holy kick in the pants to help us to see the reality and to see his love for us that we will come back first understand that the Lord is merciful the Lord is merciful to you second we acknowledge our guilt. That's verse 13. God says very clearly, only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree. The way back to the Lord, to the fountain of living waters, always begins by simply acknowledging that we've sinned. With acknowledging our guilt, agreeing with God of his correct and perfect judgment on us. Now, that's Repentance. Repentance is humbling, humiliating sometimes, it it brings us down, it can be uncomfortable, but there's good news, it's an uncomfortable path, but it's a path towards grace. A couple weeks ago, my dad had to go in for cataract surgery in one of his eyes, and that morning of his procedure, he forgot the one commandment of going in for a cataract procedure, which is that He was not supposed to have anything at all to eat for six hours before the procedure. And as he forgot, he he accidentally ate two M&Ms. And he lived to regret those two M&Ms because he went in and he had to tell the doctor what he had done. He had to confess. He had broken the one commandment of a cataract surgery. He ate M&Ms. And the doctor said, well, then you can't have the anesthesia. You'll have to do this procedure awake. They'd hoped to give him something to kind of make him extra drowsy. And so he had to lay there awake and have his eye clamped open while they shot lasers into it. And I can only imagine that was a very uncomfortable procedure, especially for my dad, who faints at the very mention of things like that. But it was worth it. Because now he looks back and he says, I can see more clearly now than I have in years. Then my vision has never been this good. He's so thankful and he's so grateful for going through that. Terribly uncomfortable. Absolutely worth it. Thomas Watson says, repenting tears are delicious. He says, it's like myrrh which has a bitter taste but it refreshes the spirit. So repentance may be bitter but it has the sweetest effects. It's a temporary discomfort to face your own guilt before the Lord, to acknowledge that you're not perhaps the person you wanted to portray yourself as, to agree with the Lord, to acknowledge your sin, and to confess it. But it opens your eyes to see a whole new view of the grace of God, of His mercy and His goodness towards sinners, when He provides for them the perfect sacrifice in His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll never get to that point of having the best vision of Christ in your entire life if you don't go through the temporary discomfort of acknowledging your guilt and coming before him and saying, yes, I am a great sinner, but Jesus Christ has died to take away the guilt of my transgressions, to take away every one of my sins that I may now come into the freedom of the presence of God with great boldness and joy and rejoice before him and enjoy the fountain of living waters that is given for me. That is found in Jesus Christ and, his, and in him alone. And to come through confession, we come out the other side with a brand new vista open to our eyes of the grace of God in the sacrifice of Christ all spread before us. So first, we, we acknowledge that the Lord is merciful and having done that, we acknowledge our guilt, we come back before the Lord, and here's the third step. Simply receive the good Shepherd. Receive the good shepherd. Look at verse 15. Here's the promise. God gives to the people. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. Now, when we read this verse from Jeremiah, if we read it in its historical context, we understand this is a reference. These shepherds are a promise that the Lord will again give the people good kings. Good kings to govern his people. That's part of why... Israel and Judah have suffered so badly as they've had so many wicked kings who forsook the Lord and turned away from him. And God says, I will give you good kings. After my own heart. Right? We, we hear the reference there. He's evoking these memories of David, the man after God's own heart, who, who was a shepherd and he was a king and he led the people in godliness and he sought the Lord. But even so, we can recognize that all of these shepherds, all of these kings from the Old Testament, all the good ones, anyway, were shadows leading us towards Jesus, the good shepherd, the one true king of his people who would come. In fact, the description goes on. I I stopped the reading there in verse 15, but the description goes on, and and it shows us that he's thinking of something more than just another ordinary human king. Down in verse 17, he's going to say to the people that at that time they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. Days are coming, says the Lord, when a king will reign over all his people and when he reigns, the people will no longer stubbornly follow their own heart. Won't that be good? Won't those be good days to no longer stubbornly follow our own foolish hearts? I can only think of that day when I will be cured of my own foolishness, cured of seeking out life in leaky buckets, when I'll simply... Come to the Lord and enjoy the fountain of living waters. Now, now we see that there's a pattern in this. When we see this pattern here of, of seeing the Lord's mercy and acknowledging our guilt and coming to receive the, the gift of the good shepherd, that's not simply something we've done once and then it's done for all. But this is, this is a pattern for us. This is a pattern for everyday life to be constantly going through this cycle of seeing God and his mercy and his grace of understanding our sin and coming back before him. And it's my hope for us at Christmas time and again as we end one year and begin to think, how are we going to enter a new year? That we'll commit ourselves to entering it this way through this cycle of looking on the Lord and seeing his grace and his mercy. Being willing to acknowledge our guilt and then coming into the freedom of all the grace that is freely given to us in Jesus Christ. I hope that we'll be able to reflect on where we've been this year. That we'll be able to see where we have turned towards broken cisterns. And that we'll commit ourselves to spending more time at the fountain of living waters. You see, sometimes we think, well, you're right, that was a broken cistern. This year I will build a better cistern. No. No, that's not the way. What he says is, return instead, leave all of your cisterns and return to the fountain of living waters given freely in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's my hope, that's my goal for us this December heading into a new year. Will you pray with me? Father, you are a a good and loving Heavenly Father to us. You are kind and your mercy endures forever. And so we are very thankful that you and your mercy call out to us. You seek us out, even though we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. You are loving, and you are prone to leave the 99 and go seek the one who has wandered away and put us on your shoulders. Carry us back and place us again in green pastures where we may graze beside you. Father, we pray that you will take the word of the Lord, which we have read and studied today, would you impress it on our hearts? Would your spirit do his patient work in us? Lord, opening the eyes of our hearts that we might gain your perspective, that we might see spiritual truth in your word and see how it applies to our lives. Father, may we store these things up and treasure them in our hearts. And most of all, would you help us as we seek to practice them in our lives? These are the things we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen.